Welcome to Founders of Nations, Episode 6, Argentina. Hey everyone, welcome back for Part 2 of San Martin and Argentina. Uh, now this is my last episode in my first batch of countries, so I'm doing interviews actively for the next batch of countries in the A's and beyond, but... Uh, it may be a little bit delayed before I get the next one out. I know I'm the king of delays, I think, at this point. But uh, having a two-month-old and two-year-old really did that to me. So, bear with me. We only have about 186 more countries to go. So, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're not here for instant gratification. Anyways, let's get on in. So, last time, San Martina just replaced... Manuel Belgrano, and then gone on to kind of train up the Army of the North, including Manuel Belgrano, on how to be a better army and a better leader. Uh, he had also helped Martin Guemes get put in charge of most of the defenses of the North, where he did his guerrilla war alongside the regular Argentine army. These two figures would go on to be very important in the revolution, as we talked about last time. Meanwhile, San Martin had seemingly gone off to retire far from the action. Of course, we know that wasn't true. Uh, he did go off to Cuyo, that province in the far western part of Argentina, to be the governor. But in late 1814, rather than retiring there, he began to construct an army that he would take across the Andes and would use to free South America from Spanish dominion. His overriding concern at this point was in line with Buenos Aires. It was Peru. Peru was the stronghold of Spanish military power in South America, and Buenos Aires wanted to continue sending forces through Upper Peru to get to Peru, which was why they had sent San Martin to lead the Army of the North. But San Martin, having been there, uh, decided that that was not feasible. The geography of the area and the people there were both very difficult to deal with, and in his eyes, any further attacks into the area were just going to lead to a waste. And that's exactly what ended up happening, as Buenos Aires continued to send armies up there after he left, and they were all defeated. Speaking of Buenos Aires, they were still busy with Montevideo, that city right across the bay that was fighting. And because they were so close to Buenos Aires, of course, uh, they didn't want to have to abandon their capital city, so they were putting most of their resources into that. And that's just what naturally would happen. But San Martin was not going to try the ordinary, he was going to try the extraordinary. And that was to basically uh, get his army out of Argentina and rampage around the other places where the Spanish were still holding power in South America. So seeing that Upper Peru, what we know of as Bolivia, was not going to be taken, he devised his other plan to gather his men and elephants and cross the Alps to take the fight directly to the Romans. Remember Hannibal's march? Yeah, 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 yeah. Leaving elephant footprints and leading his boys across the Alps. I think I know how he Eventually sold him out I think of 
that is Hannibal, not uh, San Martin. But the more I listen to that song and think about Hannibal's life and San Martin's life, the more they really do seem to be very similar. Uh, both of them had these mighty armies that went to take the fight directly to their enemies and had their countries basically kind of abandon them. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, that was Pain, a band I used to listen to. That name is The name of that song is called Right On. Uh, I was a history nerd way back when, when that song came out in 1999. And so I loved that band. You should too. All right, anyway, so he didn't decide to take his elephants across the Alps. He decided to take his cavalry and cross the Andes into Chile. And from there, sail a force up the Pacific coast and invade Peru from its mostly undefended coast there. The central government in Buenos Aires, meanwhile, was already on to its fourth iteration of leadership and was just having all kinds of trouble, not just with the nearby royalists in Montevideo, but also with a bunch of other provinces that they were trying to rule that just wanted to run their own affairs. Uh, the capital was trying to enforce its will on them, and this would just not lead to anything good in this revolutionary time. So let's go back to San Martín, and we'll pretty much leave Buenos Aires behind from here on. So his first step in this grand plan, what he came to call the Plan Continental is what he called it, was after getting the governorship of Cuyo, building an army. Now, in Cuyo, there was a small force there, uh, but it wasn't anything that could do what he needed. And because of all the things we talked about with Buenos Aires, they just weren't going to be very much help in building an army either, especially one so far away from where they wanted to fight. Uh, so what are you going to do if your overlords aren't going to be willing to send you troops? Well, you just make your own. So San Martin set about developing his province into basically a modern and successful small country at this time. Uh, he introduced so many reforms that were that ran from criminal justice reform to modern hospitals being built, modern agricultural methods being put in place, fighting against corruption. Uh, if you remember the Andorran episode talking about Charlemagne in Western Europe, it's basically what he did to this province. Before long, the people of Cuyo were just amazed at how this disciplinarian, who they didn't really like that part necessarily, but he had turned their province into a much better place to live. And so they were they were just falling in line quickly with this man who was changing their lives around so well. Uh, at one point in 1815, a new leader came to the forefront in Buenos Aires and was trying to find a way to get rid of San Martin because he saw him as a threat to his own power. Well, this is exactly what San Martin was trying to avoid and why he didn't want to get involved in Buenos Aires because there was just so much infighting that they were seemingly wasting their opportunity to rid themselves of the Spanish trying to, you know, see who could get on top of the pile. So, anyways, this guy's trying to get rid of San Martin. So San Martin feigned an illness and asked to be temporarily relieved so he could go out of the city and get well somewhere else. But when the new temporary governor was announced in Mendoza, the capital of Cuyo, the people there basically went ballistic and called for San Martin or a split from Buenos Aires. And so he was quickly brought back and put back in power there 
And uh, from then on, no one in Buenos Aires dared to try to move him from his place there. At this point, a second problem emerged, which was that the free Chileans, whom he was counting on to help him, were defeated by the Spanish. Chile had recently had a revolution of its own and was also unfortunately having some of this infighting. And the Spanish were able to kind of sweep aside the Chilean army and put it back under colonial rule. So because of this, Chilean patriots and refugees had, were now streaming across the Andes into Cuyo. Of course, that's not necessarily an easy thing, but you would think it would at least be a pretty positive thing for someone who's wanting to invade into Chile or go through Chile to get to Peru. At least he's got a bunch of friendly forces now. The trouble was that there was this division that was existing in Chile and it was being brought over with these forces. So there were two leaders, especially, who were in charge of things there, O'Higgins and Carrera. And O'Higgins was basically of one thought and one mind with San Martin in terms of uh, getting to Peru and kind of using this united South American force to do it. But Carrera, meanwhile, he, he kind of wanted to run his own Chilean government and military and he wanted to even do it kind of inside Cuyo, not be under San Martin's authority. So, after a short time, Carrera had basically tried to subvert San Martin through the some of the aristocracy in, uh, in Cuyo, and uh, eventually San Martin just had him arrested, and his brother was arrested in their leadership, and they were all sent east towards the capital. Uh, O'Higgins was now kind of in charge of everything that was left, which was a big a big portion of the Chilean forces, and so he was definitely willing to put himself under San Martin and become a combined army there. And so this this was ended up being a very good thing for San Martin, but uh, definitely started out and could have gone bad easily. So San Martin has built up this infrastructure and the economy of his province. He's now also built this coalition with Chilean freedom fighters, the third step in the plan is to actually get an army. So he was going to leverage this booming province that he'd created and the goodwill of the people to do what France had done during its revolution, which was basically to transform the whole place into a war economy with everything centered around creating and then maintaining this new army as it did its work. Uh, he did a lot of different things. One of the things I'll just mention is uh, that he freed like 1,500 slaves in the province and uh, told them that they could be free as long as they were willing to fight in the army. Um, the people pretty much all bought into this plan of changing their, their province around to a wartime economy, and uh, there wasn't much serious pushback except for from some of the slave owners who were probably quite annoyed at having lost all their slaves. In the middle of 1816, though, another new leader came into power in Buenos Aires and was finally willing to sit down with San Martin and talk about things. He agreed to supply the final pieces of the puzzle that were needed, so like weapons that couldn't be produced in Cuyo and the last of the supplies that they would need to be able to get over the Alps. Oh boy, I just said the Alps again. The Andes. Ha. Hannibal. Uh, so... Here they go over the Andes. I even have it in my notes here. Oh my. Andes. In the summertime, early January, 
This is South America, remember? Where they have the summer and the winter. What we think of as winter, at least. Uh, a great feast was held for three days in Mendoza. This was like the pep rally to end all pep rallies. The people were elated to see all their hard work pay off, and I'm sure excited to have a break from all the difficulty of providing all these resources. Uh, there were around 4,000 men and 8,000 horses and mules that were ready to do this thing. So, now what's left after the three days of feasting and dancing is to get over those Andes. Uh, this is definitely what's universally considered at that time and this time the most dangerous part of the whole thing. Because the mountains are very high if you go look up the Andes. And uh, the routes that they were going to take were very dangerous because they were trying to avoid the main Spanish defenses in the Alps. Or, gosh, the Andes, ha. Huh? I've even got the Alps here in my notes. I'm too busy thinking about Hannibal, I guess, to think about San Martin. Uh, on January 9th, 1817, two units were sent across, one to the north and one to the south of the area that was planned for the main crossing. They were sent kind of in hopes of pulling away the Spanish and getting them to commit to moving outside the area where the main army would be crossing. It seemed to work, as on the 18th, when the main army began marching through the mountains, they didn't face much of any opposition from the Spanish. They did, however, face opposition from the mountains. The paths that were chosen for the march were, like I said, not the normal paths. They were meant to keep them away from prying eyes and garrisons that might have been along the regular paths through the mountains. So the army was basically subjected to extreme temperatures and rugged paths through these very tall mountains. Uh, the paths were almost all so thin that they required marching soldiers one by one, but then there were also parts where people were having to put one foot in front of each other because there wasn't even enough room for two feet to be on the path at once. Uh, this terrible situation of marching through these mountains basically went on for about three weeks as the army slowly made its way up and down and through these mountains. But the army did reach the other side, and it's estimated that around 20% of the army was either missing or dead, and over half the animals were gone. But 80% of the army had made it, and without much in the way of Spanish intervention. And so this is universally considered a huge uh, victory. This march would become the South American version of what I talked about earlier, Hannibal crossing the Alps. If you ask people in Argentina or Chile or other countries who know about San Martin, uh, this is usually what you'll hear about. He crossed the Andes with the Army of the Andes and freed South America. So anyway, it's just a few days after getting through with this terrible three weeks of marching, going from summer temperatures up into the mountains where there was snow, uh, they found the Spanish who had come running from San Martin's distractions and had a force of around 1,500 men that were meant to slow down San Martin's advance while more troops came. Well, instead of that happening, San Martin and his forces mounted a dawn attack that took the Spanish by surprise. The combined armies of Chileans and Argentines ended up having some trouble with the flanking cavalry detachment getting slowed down by the geography of where it was trying to get through, 
and the main force of infantry led by O'Higgins, that Chilean freedom fighter, uh, getting a little too excited and attacking early. This led to a few moments where the battle was up in the air. O'Higgins' men began to retreat, and said Martin had to personally lead a charge of his mounted cavalry into the center of the Spanish force. This slapped O'Higgins' men back into the fight, and the flanking cavalry finally arrived in the rear of the Spanish and basically caught them in a double envelopment where they were just kind of encircled. The Spanish all either died or surrendered. Uh, there was much jubilation. This was thought that Chile was now free. They they just thought they defeated the main army. So San Martinez's forces got just a little too excited by this, and they failed to pursue the rest of the Spanish army. And that army moved south and would prove to be a thorn in the side of the new Chilean government for the better part of a decade, although the main threat would be quelled just a year after uh, at another battle involving O'Higgins and San Martin. Uh, soon after all this in the capital of Santiago, O'Higgins was made the new leader of the Chilean government, and most of the Spanish in the south were feeling defeated at this point, so San Martin traveled back to Buenos Aires to try to secure support for this final naval invasion of Peru. Uh, his hope was that Chile and Peru would, or Chile and Argentina, would split the cost of this invasion so that they could finally get rid of the Spanish. But by this time, Argentina was in a full-scale civil war and was in no position to send him to Peru and was instead calling for his army to now recross the Andes and come back to Buenos Aires to join the fight. Well, I know San Martin didn't want to do this, and I would imagine if he would have told his army that they needed to go back across the Andes so quickly, they probably all would have mutinied. Uh, so, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. But over the course of the year that San Martin was there, he was told to bring his army home, and then told he could keep it there, and then told to move it to Upper Peru, and he was promised support, and then told no support was coming. He eventually tried to resign four times throughout all these different things happening. Uh, and by February 1st, 1820, which is a full couple years later, the Buenos Aires government forces were defeated by the Federalists, who are kind of the, the rebels at this point, I guess, and the main government fell in Buenos Aires. With Argentina's government now fallen, San Martin wrote a letter to his army asking them to elect a new leader for their army, which would now fight in the name of the people of Argentina instead of some government. And this is the point where the traditional telling of Argentina's war for independence ends. As far as San Martin is concerned, that's it. From this point on, he would be working as a free army under the Chilean flag. And... He would look to them for support in finally ending the Spanish threat. The Chilean government, headed by O'Higgins, was all on board for this, but they were also struggling with some internal conflict as well as having to fight the Spanish. So it was a slow process having to get everything built, uh, not the least of which was a navy that would be able to get from Chile up to Peru. So we're going to go a little faster here since we're kind of out of Argentina now. And even though this has a huge impact on Argentina, the, the taking of Peru, because it really did 
work what it needed to do of, of setting South America free of the Spanish finally. Uh, but as far as Argentina's Revolutionary War, at this point there wasn't much the Spanish were doing because they were freaking out with other things going on elsewhere, and it just basically devolved into the Argentine Civil War. So, yeah, so we'll we'll leave them behind fully now, and uh, let's start talking about Peru. So, as far as Chile and Argentina were concerned, they were similar in that they had a lot of Creoles. Remember, the Creoles were the people who were uh, born in the Americas, but were still considered Spanish, like second-class citizens. And they had a lot more of those Creoles, and they had Peninsulars, who were the Spanish born Spanish, who were kind of considered the upper-tier citizens. Uh, so these places, Chile and Argentina, they were much more uh, comfortable revolting against the Spanish because the Creoles that made up a big part of the population were kind of repressed at this point by the anti-reforms, basically, that the Spanish had made recently. If you remember those from last week, if not, go back and listen again. Uh, so, but Peru was not like this. Peru, because it was kind of this big base for the Spanish, they would constantly be importing new Spanish-born citizens into Peru. And so the population was just a little different. And uh, not only that, there were a lot of uh, natives there, Native Americans, who kind of had different ideas about who was better to follow and who they wanted to fight for, who they didn't want to fight for. And so there was just a, a very a very different situation in Peru than Chile and Argentina had. It wouldn't be a place where uh, a liberating army could just march in and say, let's do this, get the Spanish out of here, and everybody would just rally to the cause. And so because of that, uh, it was going to need a very different approach. Uh, the other difficult thing about Peru was that the Spanish force here was much bigger than it was anywhere else. And the combined army of San Martin was now smaller after having fought the Spanish in Chile. And it wasn't really growing very fast because, again, Chile was just getting started and uh, was having some trouble supplying everything that was needed. Added on top of the fact that Argentina was no longer helping at all because it was in the middle of this civil war. So after a while, finally, they got their army together and their navy together and they took off from Chile and arrived in Peru. Uh, they couldn't just attack the main city head-on because there just there weren't really enough men to do that compared to how many the Spanish had. So San Martin basically started trying to foment rebellion in all the areas around the capital city of Lima and cut off Lima from supplies and other things. Uh, and this took a while. It caused some trouble between his men and especially between the naval commander, who's an English guy named Cochrane, who was leading the Chilean Navy at the time. Uh, but eventually they did get to Lima and surrounded it and forced the army there and all the loyalists to basically withdraw into the interior of the country, away from the coast and into the mountains, or what they call the Sierra. The army wasn't really strong enough to stop this, so now what we had happen was what nobody wanted, which was that there were going to be two Perus. 
this interior of Peru run by the Spanish Viceroy, and the coastal areas run by independent Peru. At this point, independent Peru uh, elected San Martin as protector of Peru and invested in him all the powers of the state until the Spanish could be defeated. Uh, San Martin, though, was in a bind. He was not going to be able to face that big Spanish force in a pitched battle because he didn't have enough forces, and his forces weren't the best at this point. Buenos Aires wasn't going to help. Chile couldn't help too much because of the internal problems they were having. So there was little in the way of help coming. And uh, what was he going to do? So at this crucial juncture, though, Simon Boulevard comes on the stage. Uh, he had been working in the north to liberate the northern part of South America, and they were both kind of meeting up in Peru at this point. Uh, San Martin and he met up, and uh, San Martin seemingly looking for serious military help to finish off the Spanish. Boulevard, though, kind of went against this and said he was not able or maybe not willing to do it, depending on which country's historians you listen to. So with little hope for achieving this final defeat of the Spanish in Peru, but seeing that it was going to happen eventually, uh, San Martin called for the Congress in Peru to meet, and he resigned his commission as protector of Peru. Uh, Peru would eventually get to the point where they had to beg Bolivar to come help them defeat the Spanish, and he did. Uh, and again, depending on which country's historians you listen to, Bolivar was finally able to free up his troops, or Bolivar just never wanted to share the glory with San Martin, and so he waited until he left to move in to help. Whatever the reason, Peru was finally liberated, and this was really the death blow for the Spanish in South America. Uh, Chile we'll see again later on, and we'll see the same thing about Peru later on as we get to their episodes. Uh, Argentina, though, would continue on in its terrible, bloody civil war with the Federalists who wanted a weak central government and the Unitarians who wanted a strong central government. Um, San Martin being kind of, during all this, San Martin was alternately begged to come back and help, and then he was told by other people that if he came back, he'd be hanged. So while he did make two trips back to Argentina, uh, he eventually ended up back in Europe where he saw out his final days there encouraging the Argentines to stop their infighting still. San Martin moved back to Chile right after he gave up the protectorship and then to Argentina and, uh, like I said, back to Europe. Uh, his daughter was in Argentina and he moved back to Europe with her to get her education uh, and find her a husband. His wife had died a few years earlier, so she didn't get to come with him. Uh, and he basically, yeah, was uh, living out his life in in exile, uh, saddened by the state of his country, basically. And that's one of the other things that a lot of the Argentines that I interviewed talked about was how it, it's kind of well known that San Martin was disappointed with the way things were working in, in Argentina and yeah, just didn't like the way things went. Uh, that's where we leave things today. San Martin, the one who crossed the Andes and refused to get involved in factional infighting among the revolutionaries. From my interviews with the Argentines again, 
this last thing really seems to be what makes him so beloved. Uh, he was a liberator, but he was never overly political and scheming. And so people on both sides of the political divide in Argentina can really get on board with him and, and stand with him and say, oh, yeah, he was our liberator. I'll be doing the What Did I Learn from San Martin section after we wrap things up here. So if you enjoyed today's show, please share with your friends or leave me a note and a review on whichever podcast app you're using. Uh, the network I talked about last week is starting to come together and hopefully by the end of the year we'll have a website and other stuff up to talk about. The question I'm thinking about this week is just, you know, how, how would it be possible to avoid this problem that that San Martin fell into where you know he stuck to his guns and refused to get involved with all the infighting just focused fully on his plan continental and that led to it coming to fruition but it also led to him being in a place where he ended up with basically no friends at the end of the war in high places in any of the countries he had helped and uh, so what do you think do you think San Martin might have done something differently was there anything realistically he could have done to avoid that situation and still get to Peru before the Spanish got their acts together? I don't know. It's an interesting question that I think about. So, tell me what you think on Twitter, at Founders Nations, or on Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or the website, langforlife.com founders. Uh, there's a chat feature there if you want to talk to me on there. Uh, don't forget, on the page description or the episode description, there will be the map that I talked about if you want to go and look at all the travels that he went on on Google Earth. there I made a map on there. And, uh, yeah, I'm about at the end of my countries that I've been able to get interviews for in the A's. So I'm likely going to need a little more time before I get back to our next A country because of San Martin's big impact on Peru and Chile. I'm considering them as options for the next episode. That'll be our first soiree out of alphabetical order if that happens. So exciting. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. If you'd like to support the show or have more input on it, please head over to the Patreon page and uh, sign up to send a few dollaroos. Or you can just message me and send me a one-time gift over PayPal or Venmo or if you don't have any money to send, you just want to have more input on the show, just send me a message and I'll be happy to talk with you. Uh, now we'll move into the what did I learn part. So if you're all done, get out of here. I'll see you next time. Otherwise, I will talk some more. So what did I learn from San Martin? Well, I think one of the things that is striking about him is... Just like Cincinnatus and George Washington, these men were really renowned for their ability to take total power and then lay it down when it was time to be finished with it. And this is really a serious test of, you know, of who a person is. Uh, that's what San Martin did. He had full power in Peru. Uh, he probably was in a point where he could have taken over a big swath of Argentina if he wanted just power. He could have taken over protectorship of Chile if he wanted because they offered it to him. But he really stuck to his guns. He he wasn't interested in all the power. He was really just interested in uh, 
in trying to get the, the Spanish out of South America and to free his people. Uh, now, are we going to be in a situation where we have that kind of question hanging over us? Probably not. But we do have places where we hold power over others, whether that's at home or at work or wherever. Uh, and we have to think about this question of how we're going to use that power. Are we going to use that power and kind of get intoxicated by it and and seek to get more of it and repressing people that we love or that we should love or repressing coworkers? Um, yeah, so it's, it's difficult to think about. Uh, just thinking about an example with my kids, uh, you know, it, it would, it's very easy to try to use my power over them to just satisfy myself. If they're screaming, just scream back at them and make them stop or send them to their room and lock them in there for time out time for too long. Or uh, just give them a screen and keep them busy instead of doing what I need to do. So I can use that power to, to do bad things to them or I can use that power to, to be a tool to help shape them into what they need to be. Uh, I think for me that's my biggest challenge right now that I'm going to take San Martin's story from to help me with. Another thing I'll try to put into practice is, is this idea of winning people over to your cause. You know, San Martin did this but just had kind of a mixed effect. Uh, with the normal people in his army, he was pretty much able to win them over because they could see his actions and they were they were good and he was doing things to help people. Uh, but when it came to the politicians, he just seemed to have a very hard time getting them on board with what he wanted to do. Uh, and just imagine how much easier this story would have been if Argentina would have said, oh yeah, okay, we'll, we'll unite and just throw all our resources behind you and get you up to Peru as quickly as we can. Now, was there something he could have done to make them do that? I don't know. It's debatable. Uh, it's probably not debatable. It's probably unlikely. But if he could have done it, it would have definitely changed his story and probably wouldn't have been so tragic there at the end, having to live out his life in exile. Uh, this is just something that I, I also struggle with. Is I often have these great ideas that I think are great, and they get to the heart of things, I think, just like his got to the heart of the Spanish problem in Peru. But I struggle to get the people that are needed on board to work on it with me. So this is also something that I'll, I'll try to work on. Uh, and then finally, just like we've seen with almost all the, the founders, this perseverance, this, this severe lack of desire to give up. Uh, he had this long-term goal. Of, of getting the Spanish out of Peru, and that would be how he got them out of South America, and he fought through it. He had delays and betrayals and allies fighting each other in the mountains and the seas and the Spanish, and uh, he just kept going, and, and he saw it through. Um, this kind of perseverance is what I'm going to have to do, or I'm going to have to have to get through many things in life, uh, one of which is the podcast, which has... 200 nations <laughs> and uh, I've done seven I think so yeah thank you for coming and hanging out with me for this extra 30 minutes on San Martin again if you have any questions or anything just head over to the website or to Twitter Facebook wherever and shoot me a message I'll be happy to talk with you 
And if you uh, are in a country that I haven't done yet and you're interested in being a part of the podcast, whether through an interview or helping me find good resources, I'll be happy to talk with you. All right. We'll see you all next time.